I want to thank you for joining in to the Bible study this evening. And again, I want to encourage you to have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a classic explanation of our condition before salvation, what God did in mercy for us to bring us to salvation, and what we have as a possession, maybe for lack of a better word, in our salvation. We've been working through Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to continue to expand on what the Apostle Paul is teaching. We arrive at verse 11 this evening. Now, I want you to notice, as we rewind the tape just a little bit, to the Apostle Paul's emphasis on the past and the present and the future of the believer as we have worked through this passage. In fact, if you have your Bible open, you'll note back in verse 2, he references in time past. He's talking about the past, the past in our unbelieving condition, and he addresses it. That is our past, verses 2 and 3. He then uses that phrase that we have emphasized in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, he's talking about our present in those few verses. We are currently sitting together in heavenly places. When we arrived at verse 7, he uses the phrase, in the ages to come. He is referencing our future, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You have to note the intentional language that Paul uses. He addresses the past, in time past, the present, but God, and our future in the ages that are to come. Here, now, in verse 11, he's going to pivot, basically cutting the chapter in half as far as his writing is concerned. And now he is going to contrast the Gentile Christian in the sinful condition. He's going to contrast the Gentile Christian with what we read earlier as the sinful condition. For example, in the first 10 verses, we're told that as sinners, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. In the rest, verses 11 through 22, we'll see, like verse 12 says us, that we are separate from, we are without Christ. Verses 1 through 10, we saw that formerly we lived according to the lusts of our flesh. Now in the second part, he's going to say, as a Gentile, you were alienated from the nation of Israel, from the covenants of Israel. In the first 10 verses, he was saying we were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and now he will say we were strangers to the covenant of promise. The first 10 verses, we were by nature children of wrath, and in the second half, as a Gentile, we were having no hope and without God in the world. In the first 10 verses, God made us alive together with Christ, and in this next segment of verses, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's simply going to now expound upon what we were as Gentiles before Christ. I think this will become clear as we study it, but I want to emphasize the 
change of tone, the different emphasis here as we round the corner. Look with me in verse 11. Wherefore, remember. Now, when he uses the word remember there, he is not making a suggestion. He is delivering a command. One of the most important traits we can develop as believers is that of remembering. There is much that we must remember. It impacts how we live. What do I mean by that? He is not saying here, in effect, if this grabs you, you may want to try to remember this. No, rather he's giving a command, remember. And then he is going to specify what it is that we should remember. Namely here, our lost and hopeless condition before God saved us. That is the intent of this chapter. Now here he's explicitly writing to Gentiles. For 2,000 years, basically, from Abraham to Christ, God chose to work exclusively through the Jewish nation, almost exclusively. If you were a Gentile, the fact is the only way that you could know God was to participate in that ritual and sacrificial system. And even then, you as a Gentile were going to be considered kind of a second-class Citizen. So he's setting the tone. Remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ye is used in all three of those verses. Ye being in verse 11, ye were in time past in verse 12, ye who sometimes were far off in verse 13. That is an emphatic pronoun. You. That would be me. Remember that once you were alienated. Remember that once you were an outsider. Remember now you, but now you. Remember you. This is a personal thing. This is something for you as a believer to intentionally remember. If you're going to remember it, you have to understand it. That's what he's working at. And again, you'll note the pattern that he uses. He's talking about the past, he's referencing the present, and he's referencing the future. In fact, he repeats in verse 11 what we saw in verse 2. In verse 2, wherein in time past, talking about the condition of the sinner before Jesus. Now, he is talking about the Gentile, the condition of the Gentile before God intervenes. In time past, you the Gentile in the flesh. He is going to address the future. By the time we get to verse 22, he's now talking corporately of the church, builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And he uses the phrase in here in verse 13, but now, just like he did back when he says, but God in verses 4 and 5. He's working hard for us to remember intentionally what we were as Gentiles in the past. And this is of import 
When we were reminded of our condition without Christ as sinners, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were bound under the dominion of our flesh. We were of the father, the devil. We were under the dominion again of the prince of the power of the air. But God saved us and freed us. And now we're being coerced in this letter to remember what we were in our Gentile past. Now he uses some language there. He kind of makes light of what the Jew would have called the Gentile. They are the uncircumcised. So he says in this verse, remember that you in the past time, a Gentile in the flesh, you were called uncircumcision by those who would call themselves the circumcision, which by the way, he is saying is of none effect for salvation. It was of the flesh made by hands. It was a Jewish designation. It refers to circumcision as something that is merely of the flesh. Paul, we know, desired circumcision of the heart, no longer the outward, external right to prove salvation, but rather in Romans, the circumcision of the heart, the internal change, not merely external. At this point, the Jews had focused on external distinctions. There were real differences between the condition of the lost Gentile and the lost Jew. So the Gentile was at a disadvantage in many ways. That's what he articulates. So I've kind of been mumbling and working and grinding around this. Here is what it is that we're supposed to remember. We were without Christ. Now, That's not being a lost person without Christ, though we were. He's emphasizing here what we were as a Gentile. We were without Christ. The phrase one wrote, without Christ, should jar you. You were cut off from Jesus Christ. Before the gospel came to Ephesus, he's explaining to these people, you had never heard the name of Jesus. You had no idea how to have your sins forgiven. You had no capacity to understand how to be reconciled to God. In fact, you were worshiping Diana. You were worshiping Artemis. You were fearing evil spirit. You were trying to keep them at bay through magic and mysticism. But you were separate. You were without Christ, with no way of knowing him. That is the condition of the Gentile believer. You were in an alienated state, not united with Jesus Christ. Of course, that was also true of the Jew as the lost, but the Gentiles, they had no expectation of the coming Messiah. The Jewish nation was given that light. Remember that you were without Christ. Remember that you were aliens from the nation of Israel. That's what he said in these verses, that at that time you were without Christ, verse 12, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were an outsider. You were a foreigner. Now, I think the words of Jesus maybe perhaps most clearly convey what alienation here means. Jesus said in John 4, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. This was not a racial slur that Jesus was using. It was a sobering fact. It's the reality of salvation. A Gentile was 
alien from the commonwealth of Israel. We did not know what we were worshiping. They did. They had the promise of the coming Messiah. We were without Christ, separated from Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers, he says, from the covenants of promise. Now, the commonwealth of Israel is a citizen type of comment. And what he is saying here as he mentions citizenship, he now comes around and says, you were an alien. You were a foreigner. You now are a stranger, sorry, were a stranger to God's covenant of promise. What does he mean by that? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham receives a promise. Listen in. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We were strangers foreigners, outsiders to those covenant promises. Those covenant promises were not for us. He goes on and he makes it very clear. We had no hope and were without God in the world. We had no hope. Without Christ, we had no hope. Without God in the world, we were utterly and completely hopeless. One commentator said, those may be the saddest words in the Bible, having no hope and without God in the world, because the world is a wicked and violent and cruel place. And because we were without Christ, because we were genuinely not members of the commonwealth and we were outsiders from the covenant promises, we found that we were without hope and without God in the world. Atheos, that's the word that is used there, without God. Without God, we were godless. God is the source of every good thing, including hope. So if we are without God, we're without everything. Despite all the appearances, maybe to the contrary, the world that we live in is without hope, without God. Now what that ought to do is it ought to enlarge our hearts. Ought to deepen our compassion for the world that we're in. This is the condition of our without God, they are without hope. They literally are hopeless in this world. And then we arrive at verse 13, much as we did mirroring the first portion of this chapter with those two words, but now in Christ Jesus, where in verse 4 it was but God, it is but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes in times past were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Again, we're expanding our understanding, our theological grasp of salvation. That is what we're learning here. But now, just like the phrases that began this chapter, as I've referenced in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, but now in Christ Jesus, because of that mercy and that love. What? We turn here in verse 13 and see that Jesus Christ made us insiders, as it were, by his shed blood. He's talking about us 
drawing near as a result of Christ's shed blood, which brings atonement for sin. But as we conclude this chapter, and this is another layer that we'll work through, he's also describing how he will unite the Jew and the Gentile into one, removing those distinctions with the church, kind of a third race, the race that is the believer before the Gentile was cut off. He was an alien. He was an outsider of the commonwealth of Israel. He was not partaker in the covenant promise. He was separate from Christ. He was without hope and without God, but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to work through all these verses, but I want you to just note a pattern that begins to emerge. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, look at verse 19. Now, therefore... Ye are, note these two words, no more. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This is almost like a lecture study. I wish it were possible to be together so I could read your faces and try to convey the depth of what is being communicated. We know in the first half that as sinners, we were in a desperate state. He's amplifying it now and showing us that as Gentiles, we were desperate. But the shed blood of Christ has made us insiders. But now, he says, we are no more strange. We're now fellow citizens. Now, to the Philippians, he's going to explain it a little further. He writes this in Philippians 3 and verse 20. He says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Our citizenship is actually celestial. It's in heaven. Dual citizens between here and there, our eternal home. We're now fellow citizens as a part of the household of God. Before, we were strangers unto the promise, but now, as we read in chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 6, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ, by the gospel. Just grasp what Paul is emphasizing. You were an alien. You were a foreigner. You were an outsider. But because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are now a fellow heir. You are now of the same body. You are now a partaker of the promise by Christ, by the gospel. It's a beautiful reality. Before we were without God, notice here in chapter 2 what we read in verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and of the household of God, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is a tremendous change. This is a deepened understanding. Paul is calling on us in these three verses to remember as a command, not if it hits you, maybe hold on to these things. He's saying, be intentional about studying this out. Remember where you once were. Remember what God has done for you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
Do you ever look back on what you once were, maybe in your younger days, and you blush with embarrassment at some of the things you did or said? That's, in effect, what we're trying to do. Look at your state of hopelessness. Remember just how outside you were. Remember how far off from God you were. You were without God. You were without hope. You were separated from Christ. In fact, you didn't even have access to the commonwealth. You were not even a partaker of the covenants of promise. But God, who is amazing in his love and rich in mercy, sent Jesus. And Jesus shed his blood for the atonement of the sins of the whole world, Jew or Gentile alike. And he is saying, you with that emphasis, that pronoun, you remember this. You remember what you have in Christ. He wants us to remember these things so that we'll never forget where we would be if the Lord Jesus Christ had not pulled us out of that pit of sin with his shed blood. Why? Why do we have to remember that? Because if we forget, we tend to grow lukewarm. We become apathetic about the things of God. If we forget, we can lose the joy of our salvation. We can forget that we're uni unified together in this body and we can forget to serve each other. We can forget and we lose our hunger for the truth of God's word. If we forget, we lose our motivation to reach other people with the gospel. So it's desperate. It's a desperate need for us to remember. If your heart has ever grown cold towards the Lord, if you've ever grown a little apathetic or a little distant, this is what should salvage you. There was a Puritan preacher named Thomas Goodwin. He wrote to his son, and this is what he wrote to his son. He said, when I was threatening to become cold in my ministry, and when I felt Sabbath morning coming and my heart not filled with amazement at the grace of God, or when I was making ready to dispense the Lord's Supper, do you know what I used to do? I used to take a turn up and down among the sins of my past life. He said, and I always come down again with a broken and contrite heart ready to preach as it was preached in the beginning, the forgiveness of sins. He said, I do not think I ever went up to the pulpit that I did not stop for a moment at the foot of it and take a turn up and down among the sins of my past years. He said, I do not think that I ever planned a sermon that I did not take a turn around my study table and look back at the sins of my youth and all my life down to the present and many a Sabbath morning when my soul had been cold and dry. For the lack of prayer during the week, a turn up and down in my past life before I went into the pulpit, he said, always broke my hard heart and made me close with the gospel for my own soul before I began to preach. Can you say thank you? And can your hard heart be warmed and softened by just meditating on what Jesus Christ's shed blood has done for you? 
Now, this isn't a motivational sermon, and this isn't me trying to tug on your heartstrings by a story or a word. It's by simply walking through these verses and unpacking what they say so that you and I can be enlightened by the Holy Spirit and see what we have in Christ. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember where you were without Christ and praise God for where you are now and be busy because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You'd think there would be an emotional appeal. But what the Apostle Paul has done all through Ephesians chapter 2 is exactly that. Take a look at where you were. Take a look at where you are. Take a look at where you're going. Remember what you were as a lost sinner. Remember what you have in the love of God. Take a look at where you were, how separate you were as a Gentile, how outside you were. And remember, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, what you have now. Say thank you, have your heart warmed, your compassion deepened, and be busy. Don't be apathetic and cold. Why? Because we have these foundational truths. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as much effort as it is for us to work through this and understand it, I pray that these would be cornerstone principles that would practically help us in our love for you and our love for the lost. We ask your blessing on the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.